Hello, everyone, and welcome to our On the Investment Radar podcast discussing the investment outlook for the second half of 2022. It is the 23rd of June. My name is Louise Summers, and I'm joined today by Seamus Lyons and our special guest, Chris Igo of AXA Investment Managers. This year has been an extraordinary year so far, as the global economy buckles under multiple strains, from supply chain issues in China to rising food prices, particularly in the poorest countries. And the spillover from the Russian invasion of Ukraine are slowing economic activity. Global growth is slowing but not stopping yet. Yet it is expected to slow to 2.9% for 2022. The Chinese and Russian economies though are certainly shrinking. The war is leading to higher commodity prices, food insecurity, exacerbating inflation and contributing to tighter financial conditions. As a result the outlook has many downside risks. Today we will discuss and be delving into what's happening this year in more detail, asking opinions on what's coming up for equities and bonds, and of course, the big question, has inflation peaked? Seamus, could I please ask you to put this year into context for us? Hi, Louise. Thanks. Yes, it's certainly been a pretty interesting year so far. Markets got off to a pretty tough start in January as investors began to realise that interest rate rises were soon going to be a thing. So in February then, not long afterwards, we had the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And this is the largest conflict in Europe since the Second World War. And also one of the key economic impacts of this conflict has been on energy and commodity markets. So Russia, as we know, is one of the largest exporters of energy in the world. And Europe's heavily reliant on Russian gas. And Ukraine, you know, often referred to as the bread basket of the world, this is a massive producer of food ingredients, wheat being one of the most known. So this has done nothing to help an already spiraling inflation picture. And now, you know, we're experiencing the highest levels of inflation globally in over 40 years. The latest CPI print in the US came in at over 8.6%. That showed inflation was rising in many of the core areas, such as services, as well as the other headline areas of food and energy as well. So this, in turn, has been forcing the hand of central banks to get this issue under control. So as such, we're now seeing interest rate rises across the globe. Fed has already raised rates a number of times, the most recent being a whopping 75 base points, the first of its kind since 1994. And let's not forget about COVID. COVID's still lingering in certain places. So China's zero COVID policy has resulted in lockdowns in many of its key cities, and this is hampering economic activity. It's also having an impact on the global supply chain, you know, with some constraints as Chinese factories and ports are shut down for extended periods. So all of this has been weighing on stock markets and on economic growth as investors fret over the growing prospects of a hard landing or a recession. So we've seen some big falls in stock markets. So the US is off to its worst start since the days of Richard Nixon's presidency. And bonds, traditionally a safe haven when you see equities do so badly, they've also endured a tough year so far as well. So yeah, it's a pretty interesting start to the year. It certainly is. Thank you, Seamus. And now one of the top questions on investors' minds is, have equities taken enough beating? Good question. One that's on most investors' minds at the moment. Well, let's start with uh, looking at how much equities have actually been beaten down this year. So the S&P is down, the S&P 500 in the US is down over 20% as we speak. That is correction territory. The Nasdaq's down, or at least it was down over 30%. Europe's down a little bit less, uh, about 15% on a year-to-date basis. So very bad returns seen across most the equity markets. So indeed, there is already a lot of bad news and recession risk already priced in by the market. But if we look to previous bear markets, if this is what we're going to have, we have seen much larger falls in the past as well. Indeed, if there is a recession and those fears play out, 
ultimately equities can fall further. But you know, there are certain areas within equity markets that have taken a large hit in the last year as well. You know, growth stocks, certainly in the mid-cap growth space, China's had a difficult time of it. So, you know, there are areas as well that have been very, very badly hit, not just this year, but even some of last year as well. And so there are areas that look a bit more attractive as well and probably won't be under so much pressure in the future. Sentiment and positioning remains very pessimistic right now. But given the falls that we've seen this year, and particularly more recently, where, you know, you've had a difficult June as well, one could argue that equities have entered an oversold territory at the moment, and we might be in for hopefully a bit more of a stable period in the next weeks and months. A little bit of optimism there at the end, which is good to hear. And now to you, Chris. Hello. Is it too soon to call an end to the worst bond market collapse in at least half a century? Hi, Louise. Good question. I would say probably the worst is behind us. If you look at any of the global bond markets indices, the drawdown that we've seen from last year's highs is the worst on record. And if you look at average prices in the bond market, they're very, very low. So you take a typical corporate bond index like in the US, the average price of bonds is around 90 cents in the dollar at the moment. And they've only been lower on a few occasions, including you know quite big prices like the global financial crisis in 2008. So from a purely valuation point of view, I think we have seen the worst. Now, there are still headwinds, of course. Uh, we don't know if inflation's peaked yet. We don't know if what's priced in, in terms of monetary tightening, is enough. And there is always the possibility that yields could go higher and therefore we have some more losses from bond portfolios. But I suspect we're near the end of, of that correction. Yields are at their highest level for many years now. And the speed and the extent of the correction in bond yields is certainly been something that I haven't seen before, even in other previous bond bear markets like in, in 1994. But we need some good news. We need some news around inflation peaking out and the central banks sending a message that they think enough is already priced in in terms of what they need to do to control inflation. So the next three months or so will be very important. The risk is that, you know, with oil prices still elevated and the war in Ukraine having an impact on global food prices, inflation continues to surprise to the upside. Side, and that may mean the market has to price in even more monetary tightening. That's the worst case scenarios. But I do think that if you take a six to 12 month view from most bond markets, you will get positive returns going forwards. That's positive news again. And Chris, you mentioned inflation and it has been reaching dizzying heights. Do you think that inflation has peaked? Well, it's difficult to know, I think, at the moment. I mean, a lot of the inflation that we're experiencing has been driven by global energy prices. They were already rising as we came out of the COVID pandemic, given the strength of the recovery. And then the war, obviously, in Ukraine added to that. But beyond energy, we've had all these supply chain issues that you mentioned in your introduction. And we're starting to see inflation broadening out throughout the economy. So as businesses face increased costs of input, they're then having to raise their own prices. And this is something that is very worrying for central banks. And hence, we've had a much more aggressive attitude from the central banks in the last three months, including the ECB bringing forward its first interest rate hike, we think, to next month, and the Fed being quite aggressive already in terms of raising rates. One thing I would watch is, certainly in the US, with our fund managers who talk to companies directly, we are starting to hear stories about inventories starting to build, especially in the retail sector, and that leading to some price discounting. So maybe 
maybe there are some early signs that the dynamics of inflation are starting to ease back. Some of the year-over-year comparisons should also start to come down, I think, in Q3. But at the same time, as we're seeing in the UK at the moment, this is causing disruption and claims for higher wages. And we've got railway strikes happening again today. And the key driver of that is a desire to get more pay. So we have to watch that wage price spiral. But I would say from the headline level, we're fairly close to the peak in inflation. I'm just not sure how quickly or how far it will come down in the coming months. That's certainly going to be a good message to many out there. Chris, what effect has inflation had on the bond markets? Oh, it's had a disastrous effect, really. Inflation, well, I don't know if it surprised us all, but the extent to which inflation rose surprised most people at the end of last year and in early 2022. And what it's led is a complete 180 degree reversal in monetary policy. So for the previous two years, central banks were concerned with making sure the markets were functioning during the pandemic, cut interest rates to very low levels, did more QE and so on. And now they've had to fully reverse that. So we're starting to see the end of QE, we're starting to see rates rise almost everywhere apart from Japan. And this is something which has been a shock to to bond investors because bond yields, as you know, are the forward expectation of of interest rates. So if interest rates are going to be higher, bond yields have to go up. And as bond yields go up, prices go down. And as I mentioned, we've seen the biggest drawdown in, in over 40 years in most bond sectors. There has been some differentiation. The longest duration, so the very long dated bonds have been the worst hit. Short duration, that is bonds that mature in, you know, the one to three-year time frame have held their value better. And also inflation-linked bonds, which are very popular instruments, uh, particularly in, in the pension world, have done well because part of their return is derived from the actual inflation rate. So again, with inflation picking up, this is a sector of the bond market that has performed better than others. The thing that worries me at the moment is the credit side, the corporate bond market, where part of the return is reflective of the credit risk that investors are taking when they lend money to corporates. If we are going to go through a period of weaker economic growth, then there could be some credit difficulties. And that may show up in wider credit spreads than we have at the moment, even though they have widened. So corporate bonds may struggle a little bit more. The saving grace, I think, is that underlying government bond yields will stabilise or may even start to move down again as we get into next year. Thank you. Seamus, the war in the Ukraine, lockdowns in China, supply chain disruptions and the risk of stagnation are hammering global growth with top of of a global recession. Do you think this is a possibility? Yeah, it's certainly fair to say that recession risks are increasing. So, you know, you look at most strategists and investors out there, they've been very busy rewriting their forecasts of this and increasing the probability of a recession. The longer inflation stays elevated at these levels, the more this risk increases. And also, you mentioned that the conflict in Ukraine, it's been over 100 days now. There's no signs of that conflict abating anytime soon either. So as long as these things remain in place, definitely the recession grows. And, you know, we're already beginning to see some signs of global growth slowing. Some of the recent hard data that came out has definitely been showing a kind of a weakening trend. Even forward-looking indicators of the PMIs, you know, they're above trend, but at the same time, they are beginning to weaken somewhat. Consumer confidence is also very low. So, you know, the Fed definitely doesn't have an easy task on its hands in trying to generate a soft landing. And also, history is not on their side either. In the previous eras where inflation has been this high, they've generally resulted in recessions following a period of rate rises. So, yeah, the probability is definitely increasing. Interesting. You mentioned the Fed. It's the 0.75% is its most aggressive hike since 1994. Is the Fed kicking an economy that's already down? 
Well, first of all, I mean, I wouldn't say the economy is actually down. I mean, it was and is still in a pretty strong position. You know, corporates, you know, some of the earnings cycle, even more recently, have been very strong. The consumer still in good shape. So, you know, the economy, at least where we are today or where we were until recently, is in a good position. But, you know, in saying that, the Fed have a big task on their hands and, and you know, they need to do something about it. And they've been very clear that, you know, they will go into restrictive mode if necessary to get inflation under control. And this is exactly what they did in 1994. And they did another big rate rise of 75 base points back then as well but it does also mean that you know the hope for soft landing that they talked about that becomes obviously a more difficult task as time goes on and inflation remains as elevated as it does we think that the likelihood of a recession and just you know a recession being defined as a few quarters of negative growth it is definitely growing and it is very high but at the same time you know it's not a given the tightening that's been done by the federal reserve also just the economy weakening financial conditions are tightening already so they may not need to go as far as markets are predicting recession is not a foregone conclusion. You know, a lot of economic outcomes remain open. And on that one, we are probably less bearish, maybe some others in terms of recession being a likelihood. A glimmer of hope there. Chris, the ECB reported its intention to increase rates for the first time in 11 years as it tries to control soaring inflation in the eurozone. This triggered a substantial market reaction and an emergency ECB meeting. Could you provide some details about what's been happening? Yeah, I mean, I think the ECB is a tricky institution because it's got a very large governing council, tries to run monetary policy by consensus. And we've seen in the past that that's led to some problems and it's worked well when there's been strong leaders like when Mario Draghi was in charge. But at the moment, when they're faced with this inflation problem that they haven't had for a very long time, it's even more difficult. And remember, they're starting off from a position where interest rates are negative and the deposit rate is minus 50 basis points. So, you know, they've got a job on their hands just to get back to zero. And that's the first kind of hurdle, really, because negative interest rates is not doing anything to help the European economy. They will have to go further than that in time because inflation is just as much a problem in Europe as it is everywhere else. But getting from minus 50 to, say, 2 which is what the market has priced in for European interest rates, is going to be a, an interesting journey because as interest rates go up, it reawakens all those concerns about fiscal stability in Europe, and particularly for countries like Italy, which have a very high government debt to GDP ratio, close to 150% as low growth and some structural issues that are perennially being discussed, but never really being dealt with. So if interest rates are going up, that means the Italian government has to pay more to services debt, that means it has less money to spend on other things. And questions will be raised about the sustainability of Italian debt. The last time that this was an issue, Draghi said we would do whatever it takes to save the euro. This time around, you know, you can't play the same hand twice, I don't think, because they can't do a big round of further bond purchases when they're trying to control inflation. So they're trying to do something much more technical. They call it their anti-fragmentation plan, where they would try to support bond markets like in Italy and Spain and Portugal and Greece. But it's not clear at the moment how exactly that will work. And therefore, investors are putting a little bit more of a risk premium on some of those sovereign bond assets. I think we'll see a very volatile period over the course of the next three months as the ECB starts to raise interest rates. Indeed. And do you think that the ECB will be able to counter the current bond market panic? Well, ultimately it will, because it ultimately can revert to buying bonds and intervening in the markets. But that would water down its anti-inflationary policy. And I think if you think about the Fed, the Fed definitely wants to control inflation and ideally would like to achieve a soft landing. My view is that at some point the Fed will reverse its interest rate hikes pretty quickly if it sees the economy tanking, as long as inflation is under control. But the ECB is much more challenging. They want to control inflation, but they don't want the euro to break up either. So that's a balancing act 
direct, which we've seen in the past is quite difficult. But ultimately, they have the power to intervene in the markets and buy government bonds. And that should, in extreme, counter the effects of any speculative attacks on sovereign bond markets. Yes, a very difficult balancing act. Global equities and bonds have suffered year-to-date losses not seen in decades as inflation is hitting 40-year high. What comes next? Seamus, can I ask this question to you first? Well, I think it very much depends on the path of inflation from here. If the picture does not begin to improve, then we're likely to see more of the same in terms of weak equity markets, weak bond markets, as the Fed and other central banks have no choice but to ramp up rates even quicker and by further. And obviously the possibility of a recession becomes more distinct reality then. But, you know, we also have a lot of recession risk and weaker growth already priced in by markets. There is certainly more room for markets to fall further. Our view probably is that equity markets will be more range bound in the coming months as investors wait for more clarity on the inflation story. But at the same time, we're likely to see volatility levels remain pretty high as investors fret what is going to be a very uncertain environment. That's quite an outlook. And over to you, Chris. I fully agree with Seamus that it's the profile of inflation over the next six to 12 months that is the most important. But I think we have to think about investor behaviour as well. We've suffered big losses in both bond markets and equity markets. And investors tend to kind of linearly project that this is going to carry on and and attach a lot of bad news and the world's changed and we're never going to make money again. This always happens in bear markets, but it won't last forever. There will be a recovery. You know, valuations are getting much more attractive. People still need to invest their cash and their savings. Central banks will complete their hiking cycle at some point. And I think we have to be careful about making you know, comparisons to the 70s and stagflation because there are so many reasons why today is different to that. Yes, there are concerns. There's concerns about the geopolitical environment. There are supply concerns about how companies will manage their supply chains going forward. There's bigger concerns about climate risk and, and water scarcity and, and things like that. But most of the time, markets go up and people make money. And we're going through a transition period at the moment. I think at this time next year, things probably look a bit better. In the meantime, time. It's about inflation and it's about the messaging from central banks. It's about how companies deal with this changed environment. Profits are going to get hit because costs are rising. But I don't think it's like 2008 when the whole system was broken. I think it's much more like probably 2018, which was the last time the Fed tightened monetary policy. But as soon as they started to pivot and started to talk about reducing rates, markets improved. Thank you, Chris. That seemed like a nice balanced argument there. Seamus, could you please wrap up our discussion? with the Arcatas outlook for assets for the second half of the year. Yeah, sure, Louise. So um, given the falls that we've already seen in equity and bond markets this year, in our view, a lot of the bad news and recession risk is already priced in by the market. So actually, we've just recently upgraded our view in equities from an underweight where we've been positioned since early March back to a neutral stance. We have a preference for US equities and Asian equities relative to Europe and the Eurozone. You know, we expect the Eurozone to struggle a bit more as a conflict in Ukraine rages on. You know, the impact of elevated energy and commodity prices, they will impact that region and the economic growth prospects more. One area we've got a bit more optimistic on in recent weeks has been Chinese equities. It really has been a hard 15, 18 months for the market there with one issue after another weighing on things. But we believe now you're seeing the easiness of the lockdowns, the regulatory risks facing the technology companies. These are beginning to ease. So we think the future market prospects there are a bit brighter. And indeed, as well, in the event of actually a global recession, if it did happen, China is one of the few places that has the firepower to deliver more stimulus. For us, it's more interesting market right now. Looking at bonds and fixed income, we've been quite on the wait here for a long time. But given the moves we've seen in yields this year, some very dramatic moves, we've actually recently moved back to a neutral duration in most of the bond areas. 
Certainly in the US now, where you got a yield of above 3%, there's also an opportunity cost to be on the way that market because the carry now is as attractive as it's been for many years. Probably one area within bonds where we aren't as optimistic is in the Eurozone, where the yields there, they're still low on an absolute basis. So you don't have that same level of carry. So being on the way to the market doesn't have such an impact to portfolio returns. Also, we probably expect a bit more hawkish behavior from the ECB in the coming months because they're a little bit behind the Fed in terms of dealing with the inflation issue. So we probably expect a bit more hawkish behavior from those. And so for that reason, we remain on the way Eurozone government bonds. But, you know, finally, there is one asset class in bonds that we do like. We like high yield. It now offers a very attractive level of yield. We've had big moves in the yield curve. We've had spreads widening. So spreads now widen over 500 basis points in high yield. So, you know, the overall yield of the market, very, very attractive. So we like that. There is risks. But at the same time, we think there's good risk reward there. So that, that is an area where we've been allocating more capital to. So, yeah, generally, probably not as a negative outlook as we would have had a month or two ago. We think there's a lot in the price. And so maybe the summer could be a bit more of an interesting period for markets. A very interesting update from you both, and thankfully not all gloom and doom. Thank you both very much indeed. Thanks, Louise.